if you go, hey, I've got this idea and this is what I want to do, and, and if you're really passionate about it. And in fact, there's a story in The Winding Road where um, it seems to pop up quite a lot, where if I ring someone, I go, you don't know me, but my name's Al Maven, and I've got this idea, and I want to do X, Y, Z, and it's really outrageous and big. I believe you're the person to help me. When can we do it? G'day and welcome to episode 49 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and it's been a couple of weeks since we last caught up. Today I'm coming to you from Beef Week at the Auctions Plus stand where we took the chance to sit out the front and have a bit of a yarn with a couple of people this week. First of them being Al Maben. She's an author, photographer. She's released five books and her work has seen her traverse Australia from the back of horses to the cabins of trucks. She's seen more of this country than most Aussies and more of this country's agricultural industry than the average cocky. But it wasn't all smooth sailing for Al. Following a life-changing accident in her mid-teens, Al Mabin has had a self-belief and a can-do attitude that has seen her create opportunity in some of the most unlikely situations. Before we jump into this episode, sitting on the side of the Auctions Plus stand, I just wanted to thank this episode's sponsor, LAWD. Specialists in Agribusiness Valuations and Transactions. You can find out more at www.lawd.com.au. Welcome, Alice Maven, an author, storyteller, photographer, I suppose, speaker as well. You, you, could ha- you wear many different hats. and Jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah, here we are at Beef Week, so yeah. I suppose um, it's nice to be back at an event. What, what's brought you up to Beef Week? Anything in particular? No, no, just um, just coming up to, I think, celebrate, you know, uh, another great uh, agricultural show and, and be here to support it, catch up with a lot of clients and, and people and get out because you're right, it's been a long time since we've been able to do things at a social level like this. It's interesting, isn't it, reflecting on, I suppose, last year. What did you get up to last year? Obviously, you're, you're someone who loves getting out and about. I, I dare say you probably don't sit in one place for too long, so... What, what did you get up to in 2020 and what kept you busy? Yeah, so I guess to give you perspective, in the last seven years since I've been doing my books and having my own business, I have spent nine weeks at home. So I bought this block of land and it remained bare for a very, very long time. So when COVID hit, I was home for three months solid before an opportunity turned up in my inbox and uh, I actually ended up going out to do a photo shoot for a a company that wanted images for their marketing which is something I'd never done before because I've always focused on you know doing my books and my own thing and I went and did that and and that turned into an opportunity to go and do planting so off I went and sat in a tractor for you know six or eight weeks doing planting which turned into an opportunity to go harvesting (laughs) so uh, I spent the next uh, well pretty much up until Christmas um, harvesting and and flew my drones and made amazing videos for people to watch and and it was wonderful I mean it was a year that has been one of the best years uh, in decades for farmers as far as cropping goes so it was fantastic to be part of it but to also capture it. And, And so whereabouts in Australia did you head for that? Uh, so uh, Gundawindi area um, for, for planting in the beginning of harvest and then I ended up down at uh, Mungandai, Kolianabrai, Walgett, uh, yeah, way, way down south, went down to South Australia 
So I kind of did this whole <laughs> follow follow the harvest uh, uh, thing, and, and I actually ended up working um, at the Zells property uh, south of Mangandai there, and, and I'm going back for planting actually this year. They've got the biggest planter in the world, so there's some pretty cool stuff going on. So you've got the diesel bug now? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I've got this <laughs> diesel bug, but it's not. I guess for me, if I was just sitting in a tractor or a planter or a harvester or doing whatever, I probably would get bored. But in the, while I'm there, I'm you know, dreaming up ideas for telling stories for agriculture and connecting people to where their food comes from and what I can do to inspire the next generation to get involved. And in fact, part of my journey with these guys is to help them create some videos that they can use to promote, you know, their business to attract people to come and work on farm because they're really, really struggling to get farmers. So, you know, through making some great videos to showcase what goes on in a year for these guys, hopefully we can encourage more people that this is a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and I think it's a missed opportunity where w- once you're in the industry, you start to take the, the everyday beauty for granted. Absolutely. And I think when I was doing the grower books, you know, my third and fourth books, that was one of the things that people were reminded of through the videos and the photos that I took was, wow, but that's our back door. Like, this is what we wake up to every day because it became their norm, you know, and I saw it through a really fresh set of eyes. Um, And I think, you know, when it comes to careers in ag, you know, we're never going to compete with uh, mining and things like that when it comes to money. And I think we have to sell a better story. We have to sell that diversity of, you know, what we get to do in a year and the people you get to meet and the skills you get to learn and the cultural experiences and and the fun and, and the passion and all of those other aspects is what we really need to sell to people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I suppose your means of communicating that is through photography. I'd love to turn back the clock a little bit. Was, was photography something you always were interested in? Was there a, a key moment where you, I suppose, picked up a camera, started playing and thought, this is pretty cool? No. <laughs> so some people might look at my work and think, oh yeah, she's been taking photos her whole life. But I actually bought my first camera in 2013 when I uh, quit my job. So I've quit this you know, job working for a Fortune 500 company for many years all over the world and just had enough. And I was walking down the street, handed back my car and my phone and my laptop and my keys and saw a camera shop and decided to buy a camera. And you know, a couple of days later, I ended up on that big cattle drive that uh, you know, Tom Brinkworth did in 2013. And so there was no, I suppose, set agenda around the, the cattle drive as such. It was just going and finding work, going from north to south with, a whole, with the biggest cattle drive in, in Australian history. Yeah, so I just, I just went for a day to take some photos, right, and got thrown on a horse and ended up staying for the remainder of the trip. So um, I spent nine months sitting on a horse at the arse end of 2,000 cattle in each mob and, and followed these people down and captured their story. And, and, you know, it was challenging in itself because to the outsider... It's just another mob of cattle. So how did I tell that story that differentiated each of the mobs and the the drovers and the groups of people between each other to tell that journey of of their trip? Um, So, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on for me. So again, a bit like sitting in a tractor. If I was just sitting behind a mob of cattle, I probably would have gone stir crazy. (laughs) But because I had my own, you know... Uh, things going on and decided I... And, and so was the book a spur of the moment, like when the cattle drive happened, you went to take photos, was that for anything specific or was it...? Oh, so my original idea uh, when I was 
going to become a photographer was actually to do stud stock photography because a lot of my clients were cattle studs and sheep studs and I thought, you know, I could really offer something in the marketing field for them here. It was, again, untrained but a huge passion of mine and I could just see things so differently. Um, so that was my original idea and then I ended up on this cattle drive and took all these photos and I created a Facebook page and threw it up on Facebook and people just went nuts over these photos, you know, and I didn't think much of it. And sorry, what, what year was this? That 2013. Okay. So really at the start, I suppose, like, I suppose I got my first... A week after buying the camera. Yeah, wow. Yeah, like self-taught on the job. <laughs> yeah, wow, interesting. And, and so was it something like... With a, do you look back at your first images and go, geez, these suck? Uh, yes and no. I did actually really go into it when I you know, was learning about photography and, and testing it and said, I'm going to treat this as though I'm shooting with film. I'm not going to just click, 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 click and click away because my time is worth money and every time I have to sit there and go, which photo am I going to edit and what am I going to do, that's chewing through my time. So I shoot very much like it's film because that was expensive back in the day, right? Um, so look, there was plenty of photos. I had to dwindle down 10,000 pictures to 290 to put into a book to tell a story. Um, so that was... That was a big deal to try and do that because you become so in love with all of these pictures and you're trying to tell, tell the story. So it was tough. And, and so I suppose, yeah, you've gone from just one book. You've done the cattle drive. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank. And I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. And then now you, you've released five books. But So what was the transition? You, fi- you finished nine months of droving. You've documented it. Was that then, okay, like now there's a business opportunity here? Or was it more that, okay, I've done this amazing trip and now I want to take that and... Just, just put it out there so people can see what it was. Yeah, look, I, I was still flying by the seat of my pants, you know, going, like, what am I Still are, aren't you? I still am, yeah. every, every day. <laughs> it's, it's the best place to be. Absolutely. Um, but I, I really looked at it and I went, wow, you know, we take for granted what these people do. They're not recognised for the role that they play in agriculture. How can I help that be changed, you know, and that's when the book idea came came about. And then I actually pitched the idea and some design pages to publishers, who then turned around and said, "No one would buy a book about droving. No, we don't want that." And I was like, "Ah, oh, okay." So then I decided that I'd self-publish and do it myself. And and actually, I've got a, a screenshot of my bank balance the day that I hit print on these books. And I had to go overseas because it was too expensive to print here in Australia. And when I hit print, I had to print a 1,000 books because that was the minimum print run. And I completely cleaned out my bank account. Like I had $0.00 and 0 cents to my name. And eight weeks until these books arrived. So I went contract mustering while yeah. I waited. Stick to what you know. Yeah, yeah. So I did that and, uh, and then they arrived. And, you know, I decided to travel back down the stock route because I found out in the meantime that bookshops weren't going to support me. 
And I was like, well, how else are you supposed to sell a book if you can't sell it in a bookshop, you know? So I decided to travel back down the stock route through all the towns that the cattle pass through and I tried to sell it to, you know, cafes, gift shops, saddleries, pubs, butchers, supermarkets, pretty much anywhere I knew people went on a daily basis. And everyone said, no, you know, we're not a bookshop, no one buys books, it's too expensive. Like, I copped it all, every, every excuse under the sun, every kickback you could possibly imagine. And I just remember it, it just got so hard to walk into another shop and face another rejection. And so I ended up actually giving them away. All, all 1,000? All 1,000 books. I gave them away. So we had $0 and in the bank. Yeah. 1,000 books sitting at home. I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I gave them all away. And then, you know, a couple of days later, my phone started ringing off the hook and people are going, we need more of these books. People love them. How do we get them? And I'm like, well, there are no more books. And, you know, I have no money. And... I ended up selling my car <laughs> to pay to print more books. <laughs> You're kidding? No, I'm not kidding. So I'm like carless, moneyless, bookless, now homeless, jobless. You know, and hoping that some other books arrive. But, but I was never hopeless, I think. I should add there. You know, I was like, okay, we've got 5,000 more books coming. And it just went absolutely ballistic after that. And so that's uh, a point I'm, I'm really intrigued with you, Alice, is around like the self-belief. Like you, you put everything behind something... 110% and just hope that it's going to pay off? Where where has that come from? That, I suppose it, people would see it as risk-taking behaviour, but others would just see it as incredible self-belief. Look, it, it is risk-taking behaviour, and because I was doing things another way that hadn't been tried and tested in that market, you know, everyone said you're going to fail. But I guess when you're so, uh, number one, financially and emotionally invested in what you're doing, failure's not really an option. You know, you'll do whatever it takes to get over the hurdles that show up in front of you. And the craziest part about it is, is that when everything was going along really good, I'd get bored and I'd throw myself back in the deep end because I learned to love that thrill of the unknown and flying by the seat of my pants, you know. But I guess part of that uh, drive probably came for me from you know when I was much younger and I had an accident of a horse and spent a lot of time in a coma and was resuscitated you know multiple times and told I wouldn't walk and talk and ride a horse again so to come out of that and uh, and be resilient I sort of went anyone can tell you you can't but I kind of take that as I'll show you I can in a really nice way <laughs> absolutely no it's a, I suppose a a bit of stubbornness, but at the end of the day, it's, it's your life. So, so that accident happened, you were 15 years old, uh, fell off a horse. Yep. Do you remember any part of it, the day no. of, the day before? I don't remember life before that accident. So You're yeah, kidding. it's very, very, very sketchy. I've been given a lot of photos and things like that to piece it all back together, but I have very little recollection. I, you know, I don't remember hitting the ground. I don't remember breaking my collarbone. I don't remember anything, you know. Yeah, wow. And so... So obviously the extent of the accident extraordinary. The the moments from that. So as a fifteen year old girl, fifteen year old anyone, it's a pretty incredible time of your life. You're really trying to find yourself, find where you fit in the world. How did that change who you were? I guess you know uh, the one thing I remember, and you know I can literally close my eyes and hear the guy's voice, the doctor, is when he said to me, you know because your brain is gone without oxygen for so long, you may never talk again, you may never walk again and all this sort of stuff. I, I just, I can hear that, like it rings in my ears every day and I just, I couldn't say anything, right, and I couldn't, couldn't move, couldn't do anything and I just thought to myself, no, no, I'll show you I can, 
you know, like, no way, this is not, this is not the diagnosis for me, you know, and I just from that point on really focused on, you know, getting back to my normal place. And yeah, it was tough because you're, you know, my school friends and at school, that rumours of all denominations went round that I'd lost limbs and I'd died and all these things and you've just got to stay completely focused um, on it. And, and I think that focus is really what drives me today, you know. I'm forever having people tell me that what I'm trying to achieve is not possible and you can't make a living that way and no one can just become a professional photographer and you can't get access to go and do that, you know. Um, you'll never self-fund it. You, you cop it all the time, but I just... Yeah, and I suppose it's interesting. I don't think there's many people who would actually regard themselves as a storyteller. I think there's people who can tell a story, but to be a full-time storyteller of people, and I suppose this is a potentially a misconception of your work, where people look at it and it's Alice Maven, the photographer, where you, there's something incredibly unique when you give someone the, the ability to share their own story, but you actually document it and convey it back to them and... It's it's nearly like a holy shit moment. Like, did I did I say that? Yeah, and and it is really interesting because um, you know when I'm doing it, like people often say to me, you know, what do you do for a living? And I actually used to hate saying I'm a photographer because it came with the next line, which was, oh, you know, so you shoot weddings and babies, and I'm like, no, I shoot cows and trucks, you know, <laughs> and people would just look at you like, how do you make a living out of that, you know? And but to connect with you know, agriculture, the way that, you know, I grew up on the land and, and things like that, so it, my heart and soul is there. But to connect with these people and have them trust me because I would go into places and they'd be like, oh, you're media, you know, you're going to misrepresent us, how are you going to portray us, you know, and, and they'd be really shut up, you know, closed book, wouldn't wouldn't let you into anything. And, and so I'd have to break down those barriers first, you know, and people would realise that through my own experiences working on the land and the things that I've done that, oh, actually, she knows she knows about this, and they would start to open up. And, and some of the stories people would tell me would just, you know, they inspire me. And I'd go from farm to farm, and, and I learnt, you know, especially through the Grower Project, because we were in the middle of a drought, um, that people were really down and out and I would share the stories of where I went and they it would pump them up, like they really looked forward to it and, and I'd leave and I'd go to the next farm and say, oh, I just met the most incredible people and, and then the next people, oh, I just met the most incredible people, they're doing this and they're doing that and I think the thing for me is that I've never gone into this with an agenda. I've just gone into it to tell the story of the people that I meet that I interact with, that I connect with, and who want to tell their story, and whatever version of that story is that they want to tell. And some people have, through listening to my story, have learnt to actually open up and tell some of their hardships, but how they overcome that, how they were resilient towards those things. And, and it helps them sort of sit back and go, oh, actually we have made it, and we are succeeding, and we are doing a great job. And they feel good within this, in themselves, because I think that's a... A massive thing is that you know agriculture and transport which are my two main focuses are taken for granted and they don't feel appreciated and that's really what I'm about is creating that appreciation from the general public but also making people realize the incredible job that they do yeah and, it, and I think to that the, the self part is the, the actual self-reflection which people don't actually take which as a storyteller, you give them that opportunity. Yeah, and, you know, the books are, are going to be there forever. You know, in 20 years' time, how are we going to be farming? 
what is the industry going to look like? And to look back and say, wow, we used to do it that way. You know, and, and for kids coming through, I mean, one of the greatest things that we did with the grower books is we, uh, a farmer and I, donated 2,000 sets of those books to schools across Australia. And I still, to this day, that was two years ago, and to this day I still get emails and photos from schools showing me what their kids are doing because of those books. You know, and if we can convince just one kid to take up agriculture, I think we've achieved the impossible. Absolutely, and I think... That what I've found with some of the stories I've shared through Humans of Agriculture has been when it comes to probably the most powerful stories and the most powerful people I've spoken to, they're saying, so I suppose, example, there was uh, one, Ricky Proles, he was a Burns victim, and he talked about that kind of, that initial moment when he looked in the mirror in his head, he hadn't actually, he hadn't actually seen himself from that hospital bed, but that moment when he went and stood in the mirror and realised what he now looked like from the outside exact same person on the inside Ricky's whole motive was that if he could have connected with one person who's a Burns victim or suffers some sort of uh, injury that things will be okay and you're still the same person on the, the outs- oh, on the inside well then his job was done and for me like, that was the most successful story we've told within a week it had over 250,000 views um, shared 850 times and God knows how many hundreds of comments. Like, I, I looked at that and was just like, wow. But, but this is just an everyday guy who, if he, he just wanted to tell one person that, that things would be okay for them and, and they could work it out. Yeah, and, and it, oh, it just gives me goosebumps now, you know. And, but I think that's the key to it, is that vulnerability, right? Like, it's not trying to tell a poor me story. It's that I'm willing to be vulnerable to tell you my story. It ain't roses. And, and I did that through the winding road where... I said, hey, you know, everyone thinks I have the dream job, but actually this is what goes on and this is how I got here and here are some of the challenges I faced and here are some of my really low points in what I did. But I was able to reflect on that and realise that, you know, I am who I am and that's what drives me to do those things and we're all on our own journey, you know, to these things. And, and that vulnerability I think is really what connects with people and I think more and more through my stories and through what I do with farmers they're starting to realise that they can tell that like they don't have to be tough and yeah uh, <laughs> and I'd say it's, it's been really interesting this week I'd say one of the transitions we're starting to see probably as an industry and it's been talked about a lot this week and, and particularly by probably old older men in the industry in their 50s and 60s is that Currently, the, the soft skills that we need in people management and how we empathise with people, we don't actually put ourselves in other people's shoes or, or not as well as what we could. And I think, yeah, so far at Beef Week this week, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways I've got is that as an industry, we're really starting to focus on people and, and really building them up. But it, it comes back to listening and understanding and then knowing that not what worked for, for you doesn't work, may not work for me. That's right, you know, we're all on our own journey and we should never compare ourselves to to others and and neither should farms, you know, it's what happens on one farm, you know, is different to what happens on another farm and the story and how they can do what they do, it's it's specific to us and it's specific to, to each industry in agriculture but we're all, you know, moving in that same direction. Is there, speaking of those different perspectives, this is the joys of Beef Australia as we've got the buggy walking past? Yeah. Talking about different perspectives, is there anything that is off... I'll wait for that to go. Talk, yeah. On the topic of different perspectives and different views, is there anything that... Any stories that you don't share? 
And if so, why? Like of my own? Or no, uh, of, of the type of people you meet in, of in, within the industry. Is there certain things which are just off limits for you? No, not really. I mean, I think I think one of the things that I've uh, been doing lately is I'm doing a, a series, so I'm turning the Grower series into a, a documentary series, and, and my vision with that is to actually give that to aged care facilities so that, you know, all these people who really can't get out now because of the way the world's changed and things can actually sit back in their armchairs and can see Australia through my eyes and learn, you know, either, you know, reflect on places they'd been or worked or places they'd seen over the years and look at agriculture from their armchairs, you know, so that's why I'm doing it. But um, one of the aspects I've had to go back into is the pig and poultry industry. And and so it's very taboo and people have this perception because of the way media has painted it. And, you know, I've developed some relationships with people within the intensive industry who are just open books to me, you know, and, and we've created these videos and we've filmed them and it's not sliced and diced and edited, it's raw and real to show what really goes on. And I've been blown away by the number of people who have actually messaged me through the, the poultry ones I've put up, who've said, we had no idea that that's what it's like and we actually are quite happy to buy caged eggs now. You know, and it's like, holy, <laughs> I've made that bigger uh, impact through just a raw conversation with a farmer who was trusting of me to portray it the way it is. And so I'm, I'm intrigued with your work. How do you go from, how do you get away from, say, your cheerleaders? I think the, the Grower documentary series is really interesting that you're going nearly down a reflections path and sharing that with aged care facilities and, and people in, in that, I suppose, stage of their life. Have you really stretched yourself to connect with the broader Australian audience? I guess that's that's part of this process is you know that and that's been one of the challenges for me and, and I'll put my hand up and say that I'm the worst city slicker there is so in one respect I've been my biggest barrier to actually getting my books into people who are not uh, interested and involved in agriculture and transport because I just despise going to the city. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> traffic, dealing with them. But, you know, of the few interactions that I have had when I've tried that that pathway with the books, you know, the people that I'm dealing with, they don't appreciate agriculture and transport, so they think that their customers don't either. So I've really been met with a lot of barriers and rejection there that I've just kind of given up and gone, well, I'm just going to focus on the people who do care. Um, but this is another way, I think, to, to do it. And... You know, it's something that I'm not going to charge these aged care facilities for. It's like, hey, the more I can get this story out there and not have to do it. I mean, bottom line is, if I could do what I do and do it for nothing, I would. You know, it's, it's not about money. Yeah. Um, so it's about getting that story out there. But the reality is, it costs. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, lot. and creating a documentary <laughs> is going to cost a bucket load of money. That's right. But How you do you know, fund these projects? Well, I guess I do it through, you know, speaking and through the book sales and things like that. They just go back into the fund to keep paying for me to do it. But I live by the smell of an oily rag and I swag it. I'm, you know, I don't have to be in five-star accommodation or... I do. I just I go out into the bush and I do what I do. Yeah, also. So it's yeah. Is is there a story that really stands out for you when it was like I'm like this is what I want to do, maybe not forever, but at this stage of my life. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that's really where it's at now. Like, COVID has forced me. Like, I, I really started to realise in 2019 that the way in which I was doing business was starting to not be as effective as it had been, right? I, I really... Uh, did quite well to to get into the shops that I got into and, and it went very, very well for a long time but it started to peter off. So people had a belief that the books had a shelf life and once they'd done a Father's Day or a Mother's Day or a Christmas that they'd done their dash, not realising that they had a huge longevity. Um, and so, you know, I had to start to change the way that I was doing things and and even now you know no I'm not producing another book anytime soon I don't have any ideas or visions for that but I have to change the way in which I'm you know putting the story out there and continuing to make sure that it's at front of mind with people to keep them cycling through um, and yeah turning it into a documentary is just another way of of doing that and, and you know other things that I've got coming in the pipeline and app and different things you know will give people access to imagery and footage that I've shot all over Australia in a different way. Yeah cool. Can I, can I ask was that someone walking past before that like was part of the Grower series? Yes, yes it was. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah so that was uh, Adrian Spencer so Iron Bark Herefords. Okay and um, does that happen a bit? A lot, yeah. Like often, you'll you'll catch up with people. So I'm, there's a few people here who are part of the Grower series today. Um, Sam and Kirsty White from Bald Blair Angus, and in fact, they're actually my first ever proper client. Um, you know, I approached them when I started doing uh, photography and said, you know, could I do your uh, your marketing photography? And, and I've been there ever since, which is cool. And they're pretty lucky because they have me, uh, and only me. You know, I don't do it for anyone else. So what I bring to, to them and the visions and the ideas and the perspectives that I bring um, are very unique and not showing up. And from elsewhere. what I've learned this week is taking photos of cattle can be very, very hard. It's not just <laughs> easy as point and shoot. No, it's not. And I think that's a, a big thing that people look at. And, and I think agriculture, you know, thought that a lot uh, when I was doing it. It's just She's just clicking the camera, but there's so much yeah, more yeah. to it than meets the eye. You know, some of those photos in the books, like the the sheep going around the cattle on the front cover, you know, that, that was an idea that I came up with spur of the moment and just decided that we were going to do that. And the farmer didn't believe me and I just said like... Just make it happen. Just make <laughs> this happen. And, and it did and it was incredible to see. And, you know, even on the back cover you've got the word grower spelt in sheep and that took three attempts to, uh, to get it right. But I think having come from the land and worked livestock, you know, in my younger years, um, my own stock knowledge meant that... I could also help, you know, I knew what I was doing, I knew where to be, I had stock sense, um, and that probably played a big role. Same with riding a horse, I remember meeting a lady once that said, she can take a photo and she can ride a horse and she can take a photo and ride a horse at the same time. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean you can't ride a horse? <laughs> just poke a lot. We just, yeah. I probably couldn't, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe with a GoPro. A question I've got for you, and it goes back to, so you were... One of the finalists in the Xander McDonald Award, 2019. Yeah. Nailed it. it ages ago. And congratulations to you for yeah. also being a finalist. It's exceptional. I wanted to know from your perspective what it was like, I suppose, uh, being a finalist, but obviously you, you what, what was it you were searching for out of the mentoring trip that you were, I suppose, were, were hoping that if you were as successful as, as the winner of the award, you could have gone and explored? Gosh, that's a great question. I guess, um, I guess I'm, I'm pretty lucky from the respect that, 
you know, I have a lot of contacts and there's probably not too many places I can't get to through a couple of phone calls. Um, but for me, you know, that mentorship was really going to, you know, open a lot more doors and, and give me yet another perspective on the agriculture industry of where could I continue to take this? Because I think people like you and I, because we're in very similar, uh, you know, focuses with where we're going by telling these stories, it's important that we're out there doing that to promote the good of the agriculture industry and try and continue to connect people. There's no one way that's perfect. You know, there's some great girls in WA on TikTok doing great things. There's yourself. There's people that will buy my books. There's people that watch Landline. We're all necessary to continue that story um, and to tell that. And I think through through the Xander McDonald Award, I think it was a massive privilege, privilege to be a finalist. Um, but to, yeah, to get access to, again, more stakeholders and leaders in ag to look at other perspectives of how we can tell that story would have been wonderful. But even though I wasn't the winner, it doesn't stop me from continuing to, to do that. Definitely. No, it's amazing. You, you feel like you're welcomed into their... Uh, yeah, the it truly realm, is a family, echelon. isn't it? And yeah. it's, it, it is. If you've got someone you need to bounce an idea off, that any of them are approachable and it, it's... Yeah, you kind of see them and it's like catching up with long-lost friends. And yeah, and I, I think it was fantastic that, you know, they decided to come back to me to give you guys, you know, the grower book as, you know, a, a finalist gift. I thought that, that's fantastic that you can see someone else who, you know, is still out there. I suppose a, a couple of final questions before we wrap up. One you mentioned, so there's yourself. I, I wouldn't really classify or bring me under the same banner as you, your streets ahead, but... Uh, other people in the don't industry. take it for granted, okay? Like, hey, how many uh, listens did you get on that amazing podcast? Two hundred thousand. No, so that wasn't a podcast. That oh. was just a written story. Okay. Oh, Still, I wish. This, that's yeah. who cares? Like that written podcast, reading. It's just listening, a different channel. It's a different channel, and and mm. that's the thing, you know, the social media realm. It can be very unforgiving. You can get a lot of criticism and things, but you know, I have a rule through my own social media that any negativity. They just axed. Yeah, yeah. It's, we don't have time for that. You know, this is about being grateful and appreciating these people who change our worlds, feed the nation, transport things. Um, so you are, you're right up there and you've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. H how do we get people to collaborate better? How do we, I suppose, you and I, this is a <laughs> coffee table conversation. How do we bring others who are moving this way? Like ultimately, it's not up to one person to start to shift the narrative around agriculture or even just communicate the narrative how do we start to bring people who are doing it together to to do it more collaboratively and, and better i think i think first and foremostly i think we all have to uh recognize that we're not competing with each other we're working together for the same result the same grand result with it you know um that's what we want to achieve as the final outcome so you know many hands make light work you know, many brains create bigger and better ideas and um, that's where it all begins. The more that those of us in this game can connect together and can work together and can go, hey, I'm doing this and actually you'd be really good to be on, you know, Ollie's podcast. I mean, I met a guy yesterday who was just absolutely nothing short of mind-blowingly inspiring and I'm like... I'm going Get him on. He's, he's, <laughs> He has actually contacted me overnight and said, I'd really love you to come back here and tell my story and just shadow me to capture this. This is a guy with an unruly story. 
and he would be amazing. You know, so I meet these people all the time and I go, they've got such an inspiring story. The more we're telling that, the more people are going to be like, if he can, I can. And I think that's what's been really big for me with my journey is that you laugh, often go places and, and people are like, there's Al Mabin, you know, the author of the books, and they're trying to put you on this pedestal and I just want to have a beer or a coffee with you. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, she's actually really normal. And that's who I am. I'm the face of what I do. Just because I've got five books doesn't mean that I'm here and you're there. Like, Yeah. Just, you've gone publicly and others I, haven't. I'm a kid that went to public school and had a normal education and I'm no different to anyone else. And if I can, you can. Yeah. You know, anyone can. Definitely. Now, one question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast is around uh, what, what advice would they give to people in, say, year 10? For you, at 15, 16 years of old, Six, 15 or 16 years of age it was pretty transformational point in your life what would be your advice to people around considering a career in agriculture well I think firstly the thing to always keep at the forefront of your mind is that belief and focus create reality and everything is a choice you can choose to say you can't and I don't have the skills or you can choose to go I'm going to learn how I'm going to work that out I'm going to find someone who can show you. Because, you know, the biggest barrier to success is our own minds. And people are actually more scared of being told no. Or they're more scared of being told yes, they can, because, oh, God, that means I have to take action. I have to actually have, give a go, have, a, have a go at this, you know. So people will, will, do, will, will move mountains to help you. If you go, hey, I've got this idea and this is what I want to do, and, and if you're really passionate about it, and in fact there's a story in The Winding Road where um, it seems to pop up quite a lot, where if I ring someone, I go, you don't know me, but my name's Al Maben, and I've got this idea, and I want to do X, Y, Z, and it's really outrageous and big. I believe you're the person to help me. When can we do it? It always happens. Because I'm there with passion and with belief in myself, and I know what I'm trying to get to, that they believe it too. I haven't gone, oh, oh, I was just wondering if you might help me with this and have you got time? I don't want to put you out or be a burden. They haven't signed up. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. But what was it? Belief? Belief and focus creates reality. I like that. And everything is a choice. I do like that a lot. Well, Al, it's been awesome to have you on the Humans Bag podcast here at the Auctions Plus stand at Beef Week. So Thanks for having me. Enjoy your time in Rocky. I will. And I'll chat to you soon. We will collaborate. Absolutely. After this. Watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Al. See ya. Well, that's it from us for another week. As I said, it's been great to be back in your ears this week. I hope you missed the podcast. I certainly have missed having chats with people, but Beef Week was a crazy old time and it was a great opportunity to catch up with a few different people and record a couple of episodes. Can't wait to see you again next Wednesday. As always, stay safe stay sane and if you've got any recommendations for people that you think we should interview reach on out i'd like to thank this episode's sponsor lawd specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions you can find out more in the show notes or at www.lawd.com.au